So I think we'll start with some meditation and making yourself comfortable. It's important to find a position that really feels like you can comfortably stay in it for maybe 20, 30 minutes or however long you intend to meditate on when you're on your own. And the, there are many instructions, possible instructions about posture, but the main thing is that the spine is relatively straight. So sometimes if you do lying down meditation, if you lie flat on your back, you'll want to have your knees bent. Or even if you're on your side, you want to have your knees bent so your spine straightens out. When you're sitting, in order to be comfortable, just try different cushions and see what helps to make, make your body comfortable as you sit with your spine straight. And then we can consciously take a few breaths, maybe a little deeper than usual, just to relax, settle in. Today for this meditation, I want to again put some emphasis on the Brahma Viharas. So we begin by really bringing up a, an attitude or a felt sense of kindness. This meditation, for those who are usually using the breath itself or some other concentration practice, sometimes people may feel like Brahma Viharas is a lightweight meditation, but in actuality, it can take us to the same places, those deep states of beautiful mind. But it starts with this sense of kindness, really, as the Buddha said, imbuing the mind with metta. Whether in English we call that loving kindness, it feels to me more, more rich, more deep than simple goodwill. But of course, there's goodwill there. It's kindness, but it's more than that. There's that aspect of loving. But if we translate it as love, then there's confusion around what we mean because we have so many ways of experiencing and talking about love. But like with many words, regardless of the language, if we want to really explain them to someone, we may have to use a variety of words 
synonyms that kind of get at the real meaning of this particular word, metta. When in the end, we have to experience it in order to really understand it. So you may have your own way of imbuing the mind with metta, whether that's just thinking about it, just letting that come to mind and immediately the mind is filled with this, you know, open, loving, unconditional kindness. Or maybe it's not that easy. So we can think of someone in our life that we deeply care about or a pet or some other living being once in a while you might meet someone who doesn't have any living being in their life that they would have this kind of metaphor but maybe plants a tree, whatever might help bring that quality to mind and fill the mind. Or sometimes we can bring this quality to mind when we remember or reflect on an act of kindness. Something someone has done for us, some kind action or words, or something we've done for another living being, an act of kindness caring, generosity, love. And once we have a sense of metta, And we begin to spread that through our system. So the Buddha said, I will abide pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with loving kindness, with metta. So when I do that, I use the quarter in front of me starting at the center as if there was a a center core of energy inside running through my whole body from top to bottom and from there spreading out to the front this whole area imbued with metta now pervaded the mind is imbued This quarter is pervaded, but it almost doesn't matter. You're letting that metta come through 
you might feel it as a vibration or just a felt sense. You might perceive it as having a certain color or not. However it feels to you is fine. And then likewise, the second quarter, I tend to go to my right side, fill that whole area, let it fill. It's not so much a, an act of doing, it's more an opening to allow this beautiful felt sense of metta to rise up or flow out of that center core of the heart. Sometimes I think of it like a spring of water coming up into a pond and it just naturally fills or filling a, a jar, a huge jar the size of your body and then letting it overflow. So right now we're filling the second quarter, if you will. And then we go on to the third quarter behind you. It will abide pervading this quarter with a mind imbued with loving kindness. And then the fourth quarter, and it links up with or melds with that first quarter. So the space from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, filled with loving kindness all around. Then above you, like a dome above your head, also pervaded with this sense of kindness. And below you, so that there is only this metta all around you. around and everywhere. And that is for all beings and for yourself. Sometimes that can be the hardest part. It's for all beings, that includes you. And we want to consciously really give that to ourselves.
And then if this is all in this huge jar, now it really starts to overflow. Or this, this spring bubbling up into the pond and it really begins to fill and move beyond these boundaries out into the whole world. So the Buddha said, I will abide pervading the whole world with this mind imbued with loving kindness. Abundant, exalted, and immeasurable. It's an endless supply. It's a boundless, immeasurable quantity. So beautiful. And with this metta as a basis, we can now invite the imbuing of the mind with karuna, with compassion. I notice when you reflect on that, when you hear that, how the energy changes if you notice any shift or change or something added. The loving kindness and that is still there. And now there's an added element. And we use the same process, viewing the mind with compassion. And then pervading one quarter with that mind imbued with compassion. So letting it come from the center core of your being out everywhere in front of you. And then the second to 
to the right side and the third behind you and the fourth to the left. Feeling that sense of compassion all around and above you. and below you. Around and everywhere and to all, all living beings and to yourself. really having compassion for yourself as well as everyone else. And then abide pervading the all-encompassing world, the whole world, with compassion. an immeasurable, boundless, beautiful provision of a mind imbued with compassion. The metta is still there, the compassion is there. And now we add the mudita, the appreciative joy, the altruistic joy, the joy in everything that's good. Good that happens to others, the good that comes to ourselves. And we imbue the mind with mudita, that joy, and then we pervade the first quarter, that mind imbued with joy, with mudita.
in the second quarter. And the third quarter. And the fourth quarter. Above and below. Around and everywhere. And this joy, this appreciation, this helps us to really be grateful for what we experience in the present moment. In our own selves, in our own circumstances, and in the lives of others. And the mind imbued with mudita, with this appreciative joy, pervading all of this area above you, below you, around, everywhere, and then spilling out, washing out onto the entire world. Joy for all the good so much good in the world, so much good in living beings. Pervading the all-encompassing world. Abundant, exalted and immeasurable joy, appreciation, So now we have these layers, you might say, metta, karuna, mudita, loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, and we invite in equanimity to hold all the good, all the not good, all everything with the kindness, with the compassionate wish for the end of suffering, for the joy for everything virtuous and good, held in a balance of calm wisdom. So 
So we imbue the mind with equanimity. The wisdom is there to understand our experience, to accept it as it is, and then to know what to do to solve problems, to help. care, and with that mind imbued with equanimity, we pervade the first quarter. And the second. And the third. And the fourth. Above and below. Around and everywhere. This beautiful, stable, wise, calm equanimity. Even-mindedness, the balance, the strength. And with this mind imbued with equanimity, we pervade the all-encompassing world. Abundant, exalted, and immeasurable. spreading out as far as our imagination can carry it. All these beautiful qualities throughout the vast cosmos.
Now, before we end this time of meditation, we can bring our attention back to our own heart. Our own heart enriched with these beautiful qualities, always available to us in every moment. So I thought I'd talk about something today that everybody knows about already. <laughs> but sometimes it's helpful to bring our attention to it so that we can renew it in ourselves. And um, the reflections on it kind of started with something that my son sent me on Facebook Messenger. It was this beautiful picture, or um, it was a little video actually that was just showing this very lovely little path or road going through this forest of trees that were coming over the, the path. And the voice was a man saying, <clears throat> 20 years from now, you will be willing to give anything to have the this moment be this age have this state of health so let's just take a little time to be present with this right now and when i think about that i'm not so sure i look back on any moment 20 years ago and think, oh, I wish I could have that moment back. <laughs> it's not really like that for me. And I think the Buddha too was um, discouraging us from trying to go back into the past or to go into the future. But the whole point of, yeah, how do we cherish this moment? How do we really bring your attention to it and make, um, you might say, the most from it. 
I don't know, I don't quite like that way of thinking. Just the richness of this particular present moment. And that when we live that way, how much more beauty is in our life and how much more appreciation. And and I think particularly these days, what comes to my mind is that mudita, or that real appreciation for goodness. And noticing that the more we see the goodness, the more goodness comes to us. And at the same time, it's not like we're overlooking the issues or the problems or the challenges that we have in our life because we want to be clear and wise in every moment. And then it's that wisdom that helps us know how to handle it how to work with it, how to make this um, present attention our norm and the source of strength, you might say, or the source of the quality with which we meet those challenges. And particularly with the way we meet each other. So yesterday I spent some time with my daughter. It's a big family morning, you can tell. <laughs> family, family kind of weekend um, in a way. And um, I, was, I spent some time with my daughter and my granddaughter, who's going to be 15 in June, in another month and a half or something. And... Um, my grandson who's 12 and 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 I got to see my son-in-law for a few minutes <laughs> after he got home from work and you know just and we, we can't forget the uh, adorable corgi dog that they have <laughs> <laughs> they tell me I'm her favorite person. I can't imagine why, but she, she just kind of goes crazy when I come over. Um, but that idea of being present with each of them uh, fully, seeing what they're like now in this present moment and um, being um, bringing those qualities from the Brahma-viharas to the moment. Um, maybe that's what the dog is into. <laughs> and of course, we're not like that all the time. I'm not like that all the time. And it's okay. It's okay to be present with whatever is arising. And then making choices about, you know, what do we want to have spill out? So when we do a meditation like this one with the Brahma Viharas, you know, really... You know, we're using a text there that's 2,500 plus years old. And, you know, this is what the Buddha said to do. <laughs> and it's, you know, if we just read through it, it's, it's like, okay. <laughs> but if we do it, if we really make it our own and not just the way I, you know, guided it, but... Really, really thinking about what does it mean to you to fill the first quarter with metta or whatever, you know, the four Brahma Viharas and 
how does how does this feel and then how do we you know really bring that into our moment to moment experience of being together or being apart or having some beautiful thing happen or having some really frightening thing happen or having you know um huge challenges and you know as bhikkhunis we get the the privilege i would say to to be on hand for people whatever would they go through and to see the in, incredible um working of the dhamma in in individual lives and in the way that people meet what's coming to them is so inspiring and beautiful <laughs> yesterday my daughter I mean, I don't know why everybody's on this what happened in the past thing, but my daughter said to me, what part of your life was really the hardest? What would you say the period of your life that was really the hardest? And, and I told her what part, and of course, she's my daughter. She had a front row seat. She, she knows what it was, you know, and and it was, of course, a period of time before I met up with the Dhamma. And it was um, super challenging. And, and I don't um, wish those moments back <laughs> at all, of course. But I do see how they help to shape um, the development once the Dhamma came in. You know, because it's not just the, I mean, obviously, we all know, we've all lived long enough now to know that it's those challenging times, too, that really help us to become very focused in the present moment, to really understand what that is. When we don't get caught up in little things and we don't get caught up in, you know, things not going the way we want them to go and we don't get caught up in um, distraction and boredom and, you know, all of that because we've got something huge in our hands at the moment that we have to manage and take care of. And in some ways, that's when we're most alive, most available, most present, most, and sometimes most loving, most caring, most considerate. And wouldn't it be nice to train the mind to do more of that when there's, you know, you might say kind of a flow of the status quo and remember what's important, not get pulled off into mental states that really don't help us and to come back. Um, and I really feel like the Brahma Viharas are such a beautiful um, collection as a whole, you know, to have that wisdom quality of equanimity, to really see how deep that goes. And also see that all four of them really rest on a basis of moral virtue. 
like you're really to, to be able to fully um, develop those qualities, the virtue has to be there and to be developed also along, along with um, the rest of the path. And then to see that the, these, you know, that kind of state of mind of the loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, equanimity also is the gateway to deep concentration. And even if, you know, like my, my go-to meditation practice is based on anapanasati, you know, mindfulness of in and out breathing. But there really is an importance of having both of those meditations be very accessible and ready and um, well-practiced. And of course, the many other things that the Buddha offered. So that we can see sort of how that all works together. Um, as we develop the Brahma Viharas, they become um, almost a layer of your foundation of the mind. It becomes easier and easier to bring them up in the moment. And then, you know, hopefully we can quickly shift from irritation or anger or frustration or boredom. Uh, restlessness or worry into something that's actually beautiful and supportive. So I think that's about what I wanted to contribute this morning, and I'd really love to hear people's comments and questions, experiences. So I'll just leave it at that. Carrie? Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, you just, and, and just now what you said, you included boredom as one of the things. I, I never really thought about it, but is boredom in the sloth and torpor category, would you say? Uh, no, I think it's different. Um, I think, I think, um, Sloth and torpor, you know, when the mind is getting dull and it's really like almost going to sleep or it's just low energy. I think boredom is different. I think boredom is a state of mind where there's a kind of aversion there. And, um, you know, really it's there's some restlessness there, I think. And um dissatisfaction you know and 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 then what you can ask what do we need to counteract say what do we need to counteract uh, sloth and torpor we need to bring up energy we need to you know bring a focus and something that the mind is interested in and you know maybe we need to adjust um, you know how much we're eating or sleeping or who knows what for that with boredom, I think we need to renew our interest in life and find what matters to us and recognize that even if there's nothing really going on, this moment matters. And also there might be underlying things. That's true with sloth and torpor too. There might be underlying you know, um, issues that 
you know, boredom is what gets presented, but um, there's really un, unaddressed things underneath, perhaps. I don't know if other people have different experiences with it. I remember thinking at one point that when I noticed boredom, I should really spend some time relaxing into it because it is one of my opportunities to be more relaxed. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you, this is Ajahn Brahm. I've heard him talk about, you know, like, you know, maybe not boredom, but drinking like too much tea and then being awake at night. And, and then, you know, like, the kind of worry that you have when you're awake at night, if you've got a bunch of things you have to do the next day, it's like, oh no, I have to like, whatever, give this talk or go here or there or whatever, see these people. And and then he thought, well, instead of that, like, why don't I just really appreciate the fact that I'm here by myself? No one's bothering me. No one's asking me questions, no, you know? And so, yeah, as soon as we do that, as soon as we say, whoa, wait a minute, this is, <laughs> as soon as we do that, and what are we doing? We're bringing in that appreciation and the life, the life of it comes up, and then you're not bored anymore. Mm. Oh, yeah. Great. You know, Thank so you. it's like this is all part of training the mind to be happy. Mm. And, you know, really noticing when is it not happy? Mm. And what, what does it need there? You know, like, like you have a little baby, and then they're crying, and you go, like, well, what do you need, you know? Well, that's, that's your own mind, you know, you say, and then we got to, okay, what do you need? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Welcome. Neil? Um, yeah, um, so I wanted, to, I want to say something else, but I also sort of was thinking about boredom now that um, Carrie brought it up. And um, for me, when I think about boredom, it's closer to um, restlessness and agitation. It's when I get bored, my mind is like, I want to be doing something else. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's helpful, but um, that was my thought about boredom, uh, not so much about sloth and torpor, but more about restlessness. Yeah, I think um, so too, Neil. Oh, do you mind? Can you hold on to your... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think so too. And as we know, restlessness and worry and sloth and torpor are two sides of the same coin. They Oftentimes we flip back and forth between them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it's true, boredom is often like that. Um, sometimes when monastics get kind of sent to an outpost monastery and there's like nothing going on, there can be boredom can set in and, and it's, it's like, yeah, I don't want to be here. I want to be among other people. And I want to be, you know, like, yeah. So yeah, it sounds right. Um, yeah. During the, the once again, wonderful guided meditation. Um, I had a kind of an insight and I thought I would share it for what it's worth. Um, it's it's what I noticed as we went through each of the first three Brahma Viharas, there can be a, and, and it's not a negative thing, but there can be a tendency to have um, some deep feeling come in. Uh, you know, in, in loving kindness, you know, it's like, oh, 
you know, oh, I have such love here or um, uh, uh, compassion, you know, oh, there's so much suffering in the world and sympathetic joy, you know, <laughs> you know, um, and then. But equanimity, it seems to me, has no feeling. It's it's more of a condition or a state of mind that has no attachment to it. And as I thought about that, I thought, well, that's what equanimity does for the other three as well. It mm -hmm. takes away the sense of attachment if you can get there. Um, you can have the sympathetic joy or the compassion or the loving kindness in such a pure way that you can, you can, and I think you said this at one point, you can act, you can do something that will have like a sort of a pure value to it as opposed to an attached grasping to it. Does that make any sense? It makes very good sense. And that's really what those other three are. They are the non-attached versions. And when we have attachment mixed in, that's actually a near enemy of each of them. So, you know, like, and, and not to blame ourselves or get hard on ourselves if we find that attachment there in our metta practice or karuna as we're feeling the wish for the suffering to be relieved and the joy, but to, if you can use the equanimity, like you're saying, to highlight where that attachment still is, that helps to purify them and make them true metta, karuna, and mudita. And then as we develop that ability to really um, embody and imbue those really pure qualities, uh, we'll, we'll find less and less attachment and more and more encouragement to, to practice and to be this in the world. You know, it's, it's really quite powerful. Yeah, thank you for that reflection. Paula and Phil? Um, I was wondering about the part where you radiate outwards and perfuse the entire world, abundant, exalted, immeasurable. And I'm wondering what that is the purpose. I mean, I it may seem obvious, but it doesn't, it's not quite for me. And, and like, uh, is this for the benefit of all beings? Does it also have some other aspect that, I mean, I, I've kind of tried that today. I, I'm not, I haven't been that good at uh, the Brahma Viharas. So today's guided meditation was really helpful. And, and I felt like, um, I had a little sense of it, but I am kind of like feeling like a beginner there. Yeah. Thank you for that question, Paula. Um, one distinction I think it could be helpful for all of us is the, 
the distinction between radiating out. Like I remember Ajahn Panyawato. So he was the British monk who lived with Ajahn Mahabua for like 40 years. And he was amazing. When he passed away, Ajahn Mahabua said, um, he is like me, I am like him, which people said what that meant was he, he was an arahant. <laughs> and, and I believe it. Um, but he, he said, people think that they got to be like a radio tower and send out this stuff as if we're giving it to other people or something. But that is not the, the really what it's for. It's, I like to think of it more as like, we're, we're kind of letting it arise in ourselves and um, grow and then we let it spill out. So it just like, it, the purpose I would say is to really experience those states as boundless, as immeasurable. When you start to, you know, drop that idea into the mind about this is going out into the whole, the whole world, the whole universe, the whole cosmos. And, and it's not like I'm going to help them or I'm going to like, you know, it's more like it comes back to not self. Like the self goes out of it. This is how it becomes that purity. Like Neil was talking about that there isn't a clinging. There isn't a selfing. There's just this, this boundless loving kindness, etc. And those four cover every situation. I mean, Loving kindness is a probably appropriate no matter what you're experiencing. But compassion comes when you see the suffering in ourselves or in others, and then you have compassion for that instead of aversion or instead of rejection or instead of fear. It's like this compassion, this wish for the relief from that suffering. And then the the joy comes when things are good. And the equanimity is for, you know, when things, wholesome things, good fortune, people are doing good things. I mean, it's so beautiful to watch people develop and keeping precepts and, you know, so beautiful to see, you know, people being kind and generous to each other. And, and then, then there's all the stuff we're doing people, even, you know, the harshness of the animal world, all of the sort of really um, unwholesome things. And there's where equanimity is the, the right, the appropriate, the beneficial kind of attitude of mind. And so I would... I would recommend that this is like a spring. These Brahmaviharas come up inside like a spring and it flows out. Not that it, I'm going to spread this to y'all. <laughs> no. And, um, and that's, you know, just a, a kind of development. So, um, tell me if I'm on the right track. I, have been working with the elements lately. Um, and there's a way of practicing with them where, you know, you recognize that these are qualities in yourself and qualities outside. And it seems like with this kind of radiating, 
you are eliminating the inside outsideness of the world you're recognizing like you said of the no self and you're just kind of having a more connected sensation with everything with that quality yeah is that yes and you know it also helps everyone in our life you know doesn't hurt (laughs) sure doesn't hurt no it's really you know like what a relief when we're accepted as we are what a relief when we can you know be present with people with that kind of um attitude of mind and it's a relief for us it's a relief for everyone around us um yeah and and there's and still there's a clarity of what's wholesome and unwholesome that wisdom quality is there and um as Ajahn Kanha often says, wisdom solves the problem. So, you know, whatever is happening there that we want to correct or we want to help improve, that's fine because the wisdom does it. It's not, again, it's not a self doing it. It's not a self knowing better. It's not, you know, like, I'm going to tell you how it is. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's much bigger than any of that. Very helpful. Thank you. Yeah, welcome. And Neil. Yeah, I just in in regard to what to Paula's question, uh, something that you said during the meditation was helpful for me. Um, You said it's not so much about uh, sending out the Brahma Vihara; it's about opening up to it. And that's kind of how I heard it, that it's like you're opening yourself up to the possibility that the world could maybe one day be filled with loving kindness, be filled with compassion, et cetera, et cetera. It's not about sending it out to anybody. Yes. Well, and I would say it is. The world is filled with loving kindness. We see it showing up all over the place. We have we have the opportunity to, to see that, or we have the opportunity to focus on the other stuff. And the more we put our attention on the kindness that's happening, the more it comes forward. And the more it's drawn to us, the more we come from this place of kindness, the more that kindness is drawn to us and and at the same time it's not like a put on the rose colored glasses it's like see see things as they actually are and if we and if we can can have this um the place we come from are the brahma viharas then we don't have to be afraid or reject or be blindsided by what comes in the world will know this is just natural. This is also part of part of the world. It's okay. Um, it is all there already. And, you know, Arahants will tell you Nibbana is right here too. It's not somewhere else. It's not somewhere well, way in the future. It's here now. It's 
our opening up to it, just like you said, is our opening up to it, being ready to let go of everything. That's really where the Nibbana is right here. And Joyce? This was truly amazing. I've always had <clears throat> somewhat of an aversion, not an aversion toward the practice, but I wasn't able to relate to either a metta practice or Brahma Vihara practice. And it would really create a lot of anxiety for me rather than the intended purpose. And this really, really touched me. Such a clear and beautiful presentation. I mean, I'm really grateful. Um, but I, I want to. I need to keep this short because I know others want to share as well. Um, just want to make a couple of comments. One place where I would always get stuck, like with Meta, were people who were really challenging to me, and I'm just going to. Um, a number of politicians that are very prominent these days. Um, what I saw when you were presenting this was just remember the actual um, words used by the Buddha, which which was non ill will, did not have ill will, and that was just amazingly helpful to shift that, and it actually started to feel sliding more into compassion for where their mind states were, or whatever. Um, and I had a conversation with a friend yesterday, and she was talking about a woman who cleans the home, and she wasn't following the orders just right. And I could really see that the woman's intention was probably to be helpful. Mm -hmm. It became this thing where I have the right to say, you know, and to tell her to do it right. And I could not align with that. And I also could not back down. But I did it in a gentle way. And it was just so amazing to watch my mind not get so attached, but really also hold to this non-ill will concept. You know, like that woman is trying to be helpful, probably. Like, like look at what her motivations might be, but challenging conversation. And I, I really liked um I got so stuck with, with mudita is joy and the joy of others. It's very limiting for me, as I realize, because you were talking about nature, and I get very moved by that. And I'm finding myself drawn to things that in my past would have seemed like you know, those little feminine sweet things. But I'm drawn to like, like Jane Austen films like like what I mean that does not sound like me I'm, I'm <laughs> a and I do all these tough things and I bag peaks and and here I am getting so soft-hearted and one of the things that was going on today was at a program called democracy now the, the tributes and the conversations you know obviously recorded with Harry Belafonte mm -hmm. so moving to see this person who is so deeply in his values. Yeah. I watched some of these twice because they were so moving to me. Mm -hmm. In that throughout my life right now, I'm just seeing those things. So thank you for like bringing this all together and in the context 
of the Brahma Viharas. Thank you. I really deeply appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for your sharing, Joyce. Lynn? Good morning, Aya. Good morning. I um, guess I was reflecting on what you talked about today about going looking at the past or considering some of the worst difficult times in your life and one of those difficult times actually brought me to the the dhamma mm -hmm. but i often reflect on what would my what was my contribution to to this difficult time and what, how would that have been different if I had been practicing prior to that? Um, something I, I, you know, sometimes you don't understand how things, how practicing with the Dhamma has changed your life. Mm -hmm. But when I reflect back, I, I often think about okay, what were your contributions to that conflict? And could you have de-escalated or in some way um, <clears throat> mitigated uh, uh, the difficulties? So with that, I really, I, I so appreciate and I don't want to take a step back <laughs> either. <laughs> keep, keep practicing uh, in the future. Yes, thanks. Thank you, Lynn. Yeah, that's that's a super important reflection. I mean, not to go, you know, to use it as a as a learning tool or an opportunity to think about how to make amends, maybe. But way back in the past, um, you know, Ajahn Gunha is like cut off the past. You know, we talked about regret last, unproductive regret last time, and. And we want to make sure we don't go down that path um, because we just get caught up in it. But what you're saying is it's a very important question. Like, you know, and, and I think for myself, of course, there was tons of unskillful behavior. And I have compassion for that more and more. Um, just knowing that, you know, and compassion for, for everyone, you know, like we're... We're making choices and taking action um, with limited, very limited knowledge and limited wisdom. And, and um, the more we can develop wisdom and compassion and all of these other beautiful qualities, uh, like you said, this is about going forward. This is about cultivation and development. And it's certainly not just on a meditation cushion. I mean, that's important. Uh, the Buddha said, don't neglect meditation. You're going to regret that later. <laughs> um, but to, to really recognize that even the way the Buddha expresses training the mind, it's all about mental states and being with those mental states and understanding how to address them and how to work with them. And, um, yeah, so... We, we get to practice every minute, regardless of what we're doing. Uh-oh, I just lost somebody's hand. 
Would, would you like to say something? Julie, do you have your hand up? I have a question. Okay, oh, sorry. No, no. Yes, please. I have two questions. Okay. Um, so one is, previously when people spoke of the Brahma Viharas to me, when they talked about Mudita, they would say, oh, it's like when you're happy for someone else, when something good happens to them, or when they do something good. But today you said it also applies to when something good happens to ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it's right in the text, too. It's like, to all as to myself. And I like that word as. You know, that's where, that's where the real, like, <laughs> meat of the sentences <laughs> to all is to myself and it's true for all the Brahma Viharas. I'm curious where because I've heard from multiple teachers that it's when you're happy for someone else like where do you think that came from? Commentary maybe? Okay. You um, know I mean it's it's like uh, there is a you know, the Buddha will say sometimes in the suttas what this practice or quality counteracts. And so um, jealousy um, is, is often the place where people try to apply mudita so like they can get past that jealousy. So it, it often is described only as, you know, like what we feel for someone else. But the more we lose the sense of self, self-identification, the more we see that this being too um, really needs all of those same beautiful qualities for it. And why not? Why not be happy and joyful for the good fortune that comes and the benefits and the growth in this being? And, and like I said, it's right in the text, when that, that stock kind of passage that you see the Buddha use again and again. It's like, to all as to myself. Yeah. And? My second question is, um, I've also heard people describe gratitude as, and I can't believe I'm about to say this <laughs> in front of you, but I've heard people describe gratitude as the fifth Brahmavihara. Um, I'm curious, in your perspective, or, you know, and or the Buddhist perspective, which Brahma Viharas does that fit into? Well, I see it closely related with Bodhita. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because with Bodhita, we're really, we're, I guess, again, it comes back to, is this just about handling some problem and, you know, like jealousy or, you know, like oftentimes mudita, you know, the kinds of examples are someone else gets the promotion you wanted or something like that. And then you bring up mudita to feel good about them, you know, getting whatever, overcoming your own, <laughs> whatever's going on in us. But I think the more we exercise that and develop that Brahma Vihara, then, you know, we're seeing the good more. You know, it's not just about, like, what's in your face, but you're seeing the goodness in the world. You're seeing the goodness in yourself. 
And of course, gratitude is right there. Gratitude for the kindness people show, gratitude for the wisdom people have, gratitude for the circumstances unfolding in a way that brings some benefit. And so I, I think it's there, but it's like so many other qualities that are important that arise for us. They're not necessarily part of the Brahmavi heart. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't call it a fifth Brahmavihara um, because the Brahmaviharas, these are special states that really are related to the heavenly world. And as we practice for the realization of Nibbana and we're developing all of the, the, the substrate of what's needed to do that practice, the generosity and the virtue. And, you know, like the Buddha talking about our being um, grateful to our parents and that we have um, this, this connection with our parents in which we can, you know, we really have the, the duty, if you will, to re- repay them in some way. Now, that sounds a little too transactional (laughs) but that's not what I mean but that you know that gratitude that we have for the fact that they brought us into the world and they're showing us the world and teaching us and whenever they're teaching us what's good by being good people this is wonderful and if by any chance there were many unskillful things that they did maybe even horrible things that they've done that we also learned from that um and there's a to have the gratitude anyway. So it, it seems to me like it's not in the same category, but also part of that substrate. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. I really appreciate hearing all these things so that I understand, like, what's going on out there? <laughs> what are people saying that the Buddha is saying and he's not saying? <laughs> yeah, Neil. Uh, just with regard to Grace's question, as you were talking, I was thinking, um, at first I was thinking, well, yeah, appreciative joy, that's sort of another way of saying gratitude. But then I thought, well, the appreciation part is the gratitude and the joy is the transcendent piece that makes it more of a divine abode. I don't know, just a thought. Yeah, nice framing. Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah, like thinking again about gratitude, um, I, I like to see it sometimes as, um, gratitude being like, uh, antidote for two of the unwholesome roots, um, desire, but also aversion sometimes because in a way like desire is, I desire something I don't have. No, like I can't desire something I have, but when there's gratitude, there's like this uh, refocusing or helping the mind to refocus on what it already has. Like I have a shelter or um, food or whatever, and I'm content with that. So I'm like, oh, you know, it's it, it can be an antidote for the desire, for the desiring mind, but it can also be an antidote for the aversive mind. Like if someone did something to me, but then I can remember something good they did for me maybe 
So, like, for parents or so, maybe I can think of, oh, when my parents did that, yeah. that was sad. But then I can also remember all the things I'm grateful for. And that can balance the mind. So, I think it has a lot of qualities. and It also can counteract the boredom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So start to look for what have, what are these things that, yeah. 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 So, I mean, the only part in the text I remember right now is find the, the Pali word for gratitude is in the Mangala Sutta so it's one of the highest blessings yeah. that the Buddha describes and yeah it's a it's a great like handy tool to fight those aversive states so yeah, yeah. Carrie? Carrie and Jaime? Yeah, thank you. We lost our internet for a minute. I know we're, we're out of time. I just wanted to say that um, a couple of weeks ago, you used the phrase, may I abide in well-being uh, when you were talking about metta. <coughs> and I found that, I have found that really helpful. And I, I really am doing metta kind of in the opposite direction rather than beaming out. Because to me, abiding means to kind of sit in the middle of, and it's something that you've touched on a little bit, a number of people have this morning, of how much loving kindness is out there, just available to me. And I'm, that's kind of how I've been practicing it now, is to just sit and kind of know that even though there's a lot of bad stuff going on, most people are kind. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. And I think that that approach is correct to you start here in in yourself in this mind and this heart and you sit in it it comes from the core of your being i mean there's a a meditative experience that you may have at some point where you recognize that the core of your being is the same core of all beings. So don't get too caught up in the self part of it, but to know that we start from where we are and it's right here. And I think that idea of I'm, I'm sitting in it and it's around me right here. And from there it spills out. Yeah. I actually bring it in. I don't even bother with this filling out part. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> because um, abide means to sit in, imbue means to be filled with. So from my, my, you know, the Buddha said basically. It's from the outside for you. Make it your own. <laughs> yeah. And for me, I, I, I just find it works much better for me to take it in. And then the gratitude develops. Mm -hmm. um, and then that's when the heart can really open. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you. All right, friends. Thank you all very much. It's been lovely to have you here in person and online. And um, always appreciate all your comments and questions. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org dot org slash donate.